Welcome to the Testimony Service Podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with a scripture. Today's scripture comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Set an example for the believers in what you say and in how you live. Also, set an example in how you love and in what you believe. Show the believers how to be pure. And now here is episode five, Who Am I? Hi, everyone. My name is Dara, and I'm so excited to share my story on this podcast today. So starting from the beginning, I actually grew up in England, born and raised there into a Nigerian family. I don't know if you all know about Nigerian families, but that's a whole fun thing in itself, which I'm sure I will get into. So yeah, my parents actually moved from Nigeria to England a year before I was born, mostly because of my dad's job situation. That was kind of my experience, which is not the norm in this country, obviously. But both of my parents are believers, and I have always grown up in the church. That was very much a part of, like, regular life, Um, and I loved it. Like, I think I'm one of the few children who actually really enjoyed going to church. Like, all my friends were there. It was a very, like, free worshiping church, so all the kids had banners and things in the back. It It was pretty fun, but it didn't really become real to me until I was, like, seven or eight. I watched this movie with my family called Left Behind. I don't know if you guys have heard of it before, but it's super old, based off of books. And basically, it's a movie that is depicting the rapture when all of the believers are taken up into heaven and everyone else is left behind. And the movie basically follows like a couple people, one of them being a pastor who was actually left behind during the rapture. And I remember watching it and being like, I don't want to be left behind. I want to go to heaven with, like, my family and all my friends. So after watching that movie, I ran upstairs in my room and, like, prayed the quote-unquote prayer and decided to give my life to Christ. Hey, you seem like you're a super mature kid at seven or eight. Like, I remember watching, <laughs> I watched that movie, too, but I, like, freaked out, and I was just petrified. Like, it didn't cause me to act. I, <laughs> so kudos. <laughs> I was literally just like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't want to be left behind. Like, this sounds awful. No one else is there. Everything's on fire. Like, I don't want that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so even at, like, seven, I was like, okay, cool. That's definitely not what I want. So that was kind of the beginning of my spiritual journey, to say. I was baptized when I was eight. I actually had, get this, I had a baptism birthday party. It was at my church. I got baptized, and then we had a whole party after, so I had a cake for my birthday, and then my new spiritual birthday, which was pretty fun. When you're a kid, you just don't know a lot about anything, really. But then something happened that decided to shake my world. Uh, My dad had always talked about moving to America, and he'd been saying it for years, so we're like, oh, yeah, like, one day in the future, we're going to move to America, and it's going to be cool, and it's going to be fun. So then the next couple years was basically, like, trying to figure out if this was a thing that God wanted us to do and if it was going to happen. And my parents felt called to move to the States. And they were like, okay, well, we're going to start making moves and start making it happen. So 
So I was like, at this point, I'm like 11. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, all of my friends are here. Like, my church is here. This sounds really fun and stuff, but I don't really get it. And most times when I would ask, the explanation I would get was, oh, well, this is what we feel like the Lord wants us to do. Now, try to explain that to a child. That's a hard thing to kind of grasp. Even as adults sometimes, like, when God asks you to do something, it seems so vague sometimes. It's like, imagine me being, like, 11, 12, trying to understand that we're going to shift our whole lives because God told us to. Like, did you hear him? Did he, like, part the clouds and speak to you? Like, how does this work? So I didn't really understand that, but... I was kind of like, well, okay, we'll see what happens. And then my dad, he actually changed his state. He had to take his test so he could practice as a physical therapist here. The first time, he failed it. So he literally flew all the way to the States. He had studied for months, I think maybe even up to a year, and he had failed it. And then he took it again and came all the way to the States and failed it. And we were kind of like, okay, maybe this isn't something that God wants us to do right now. Maybe it'll be in the future. So we kind of put that on the back burner. We, like, bought a house in England. We settled in. And about a year after we were in that house, our parents felt like God was asking us to try again. And I was kind of like, okay, like, it's going to be the same thing again. He's going to come home and he's going to fail. And it's going to be like, well, that's that. And he passed. And we were so excited. You should have seen us, like, jumping and dancing and singing, like, in our living room when he came back. It was crazy. But then I was kind of like, shoot, does that mean we're actually, like, going to (laughs) move? What does that actually mean? So, basically, when he got back from America the third time, that's when everything started to move real, real quick. We applied for a green card and a visa to come to the state and we went in for the interview and within like three to four weeks we had gotten accepted to get a green card which is insane because anyone who has gone through the immigration process or knows people who have gone through it knows that it is not always a simple thing to get a green card and sometimes it takes years for people to be accepted to actually do that and for us it took like three four weeks so I was like shoot this is like this is happening this is really happening at this point school was let out and I was like okay guys like I'm moving to like we're actually moving to America this time we're actually doing it I'm not coming back and I remember just being sad because I felt like I was just getting my solid group of friends, you know. Like, seventh, eighth, seventh, eighth grade is kind of when you're starting to form those, like, deeper friendships, you know. And it was rough. So it got to September in 2010, and that was the month we were moving. At this point, I was like, oh, snap, things are getting real. We had sold our house. We had sold our cars. We had sold basically everything that belonged to us. We moved with only eight suitcases, I think, which was mainly filled with clothes. We didn't have a house lined up or anything like that. My dad had a job, so that was great. At this point, I was kind of like, I don't know what this is going to look like, and this is a whole new game. So we moved to Ohio, and none of us had even ever been to Ohio. We didn't know anyone here. We didn't have a house. We didn't have anything. And I was kind of like, God, how are you going to pick up our entire lives 
to move us here when life was fine, life was good, we were comfortable, we could manage everything. Like, why, why are we doing this? But God made it very apparent that that is where he wanted us to be. Within the first week of being in Ohio, we had found a house to rent. We bought a car. We found a church that we could go to. And everything fell into place so quickly. But, yeah, so we got settled in, and I started school, and I realized, like, oh, crap, school is very different here. The students are very different here. I am very different here. And I kind of began to wonder, like, okay, God, like, where are you in all of this? Like, I'm here. I have no friends. I don't know anyone. Where are you? Like, literally, where are you? So that was kind of when I began to really dig into my relationship with the Lord. Because before, I didn't really feel like I needed to, to be honest. But then all of a sudden, I had nothing and no one other than my immediate family. And I was like, all right, God, like, if you want to prove that you're trustworthy, this is the time. So during that time, he kind of placed some really key people in my life. I found some friends at school and at church as well, who some of them I'm still friends with today, like almost 10 years later. And... He just really proved himself to be trustworthy in that. Through my youth group at church, I was able to dive in even deeper in my faith and even begin to learn what it looks like to be a leader, like as a student, and being on my student leadership team and just practicing my faith and making it a real thing instead of just a thing that was personal to me that's like in my head that I don't really do anything about, you know? I feel like it's so easy to be a believer, but never actually do anything with that faith, you know? And like, no, our faith is not based off of work, but faith should produce work. Right. So if I say that I'm a believer and I say that Jesus is my savior and that I want to be obedient to him, then that means sharing my faith with people I know. That means being obedient to my parents. That means all of these things, you know. And I realized, like, shoot, if this is what I'm saying with my mouth, this is something my life has to reflect as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like in high school, that's when I really began to learn that. And I really learned what it meant to be God-dependent during that time. So why do you think that God had you move to the U.S.? You know, this is a question that I ask myself frequently. <laughs> The bottom line is that he did want us here. Um, I think now being here for, it'll be 10 years this September. So kind of looking back, like, number one, I don't know that my faith would be as strong as it is today if we did not move. Truthfully, the people that I was hanging out with, I see them now, and I'm like, if I still hung out with them, would I be going down that path as well? I don't know that I would have the relationship with God that I have now. So I think that's a huge, huge, huge thing. I think also just the unique ministry opportunities that God has provided for me and my family while we've been here, like the church that we've been plugged into, like everyone in our family is pretty involved. Like my dad is involved in like the worship team and my, both my parents actually lead like the weekly prayer team as well. And then I've been involved in youth ministry and during worship as well. And then my sister in the youth ministry. So being able to come and also be a blessing to the church and also allow the church to bless us in a new way was massive. And, like, if we didn't move, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) 
there's so many things in my life now and so many people in my life that if we didn't move, none of those things would be in my life at all. Yeah, that's awesome. I had another question, but you kind of answered it. But if you want to answer it, I was just going to say, how do you think your life would look different if you still lived in, in Nigeria? Oh, not Nigeria, England. Or not in Nigeria, sorry, in England. <laughs> my bad. <Yeah>. You weren't <laughs> born yet. Nigeria, life would look very different, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but if, if I was still there, like I said, like I don't think my faith would be as strong, just like by seeing all the people I used to hang out with, like all they really do is like party and like go out and mm-hmm. that's really it. I think about it every now and then, like, what would life look like? Where would I be? What would I have studied? Like, would I have even studied fashion design? Because in England, like, yeah, that is a thing, but there are so many more opportunities here mm-hmm. and so much more freedom here. So it's like, who even knows? Maybe I would have been, like, a lawyer or something boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be cool if we could see, like, our alternative paths, like, all I of them know. lined up. <laughs> yeah, it would yeah. be interesting for sure. Right. <laughs> well, after high school, um, I went to Kent State in Ohio, studied fashion design. That wasn't really a question in my house, like, you're going to college. No Nigerian <laughs> is going to be not going to college. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when I got there, I knew that I wanted to be plugged into a Christian community of sorts. And then I found one that I felt like was a pretty good fit. So I started going there and being able to serve there as well. But during this time, like, I learned about God dependence, but I feel like I was relearning what my identity was. Like, who actually am I? Because all of a sudden you're in a new place with new people again. You have to reintroduce yourself again and again and again. So it's like you're doing this, and you're like, okay, but who, who am I? Growing up, I grew up in mostly, like, a white neighborhood with, like, a mostly white church. And me being Nigerian, most of our black community was also Nigerian. And then we moved to the state. And the city that we're living in is also a pretty white city, probably like 90% white, if not more. And the church that we went to was also majority white. Like, okay, so I'm black. I'm in America. What does that actually mean? In high school, it didn't seemed to have, like, a massive effect on me. People weren't overtly racist. But I noticed that there were small ways that people would treat me different or backhanded compliments that people would give me, like, oh, wow, you talk real good, or, like, you talk really well. You, like, don't talk in slang, da-da-da-da. Like, you're really pretty for a black girl. Like, I've really had that. I've really had people say that to me and think it was a compliment. So I'm hearing all these things and realizing that, like, okay, being black in America is very different than being black in England. Is there racism in England? Yes. Are there microaggressions microaggressions in England? Yeah, of course. But the magnitude in America is just so, so, so much more. And I had to learn how to navigate that space. So then getting to college, I was like, okay, I really need to figure this out because all of a sudden I'm in a place where I finally am exposed to more people of color, more black people, more Asian people, more people from all over the world. And I was realizing like, I don't know how to relate to African-American people. I've never had to, you know, you're good at it now. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Uh, It was, it was a huge, huge learning curve because, People see me and they assume that I'm African-American because Mm -hmm. I'm black, right? Mm -hmm. 
But even though that's what people thought I was, I was like, I've only been in the country for four or five years. Yeah. So I, I don't understand all the culture. I don't understand all the history. And like, if I'm talking about myself, I wouldn't identify as that, even though people would identify me as that. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I can't just ignore it. Like, I can't just pretend that it doesn't affect me because whether or not I'm actually from this country, if you're black, then all of that is perceived as who you are. Mm. So whether it is your story or not, it becomes your story. You have to learn it. So I kind of began this, I guess you could call it a racial identity journey in learning like, okay, what does it mean to be black in America? What does it mean to be a child of God in America? And how do those intersect? So it's definitely been a journey and I'm still definitely learning. Like I am a child of God and that is my identity first and foremost. Everything else is secondary. Am I black? Yes. Am I African? Yes. Am I now American? Yes. As of like last year, our family became officially American. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been a journey for sure. And I'm sure a lot of people who have grown up in predominantly white spaces can relate to that. So how do you feel like you've been able to keep like your cultural identity since being in America and like not trying to assimilate to what African-American is and just what American is? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we've always had a really like a culturally Nigerian household. So even in England, like everyone else would be having tea time. We would be eating our jello fries and our eba and our stew. (laughs) So that was never really an issue, like being culturally Nigerian and growing up in that environment. Like that was normal to me. But definitely, like, learning how to interact with different people was new. Like, how can I interact with people while still being true to myself, Mm -hmm. but in a way that will relate to them and that they can understand, you know? So I'm still learning that, to be honest. Like, (laughs) it is something that you'll be learning for the rest of your life, you know? Because you don't want to give up who you are. And I feel like in high school, I did give up a lot of who I am, so I could fit in with the white kids at school, mm-hmm. you know, like I gave up my, my Britishness. I literally ditched my accent because I was so sick. Uh, people always comment, like that's all people cared about. No one wanted yeah. to listen to what I wanted to say. No one cared what came out of my mouth. They just wanted to hear the accent. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's enough. I'm done with it. Wow. So I ditched it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like that's, I, cra- that's crazy how Americans are, like, obsessed with other people's cultures, but then at the same time, we want you to assimilate to us so bad. Like, it's, it's exactly. so weird. <laughs> it's it's so strange. This country is so odd. <laughs> you see, like, like, even in media right now, with, like, white women trying to take on the features of black women, but then they're still calling black women ugly. They're still putting them down, even though they're trying to, like basically look like black women you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's this right. weird double-edged sword of like so you say you like me but you don't but then mm-hmm. you steal things from me but then there's still all this injustice in the world yeah, like, crazy. What is, that could be a whole podcast <laughs> <laughs> that is really good in itself <laughs> yeah but i think right now i'm trying to kind of disconnect more from whiteness (laughs) 
in mm-hmm. general. And that's not against anyone who is white, but just like the cultural whiteness and feeling as if that is the main thing and that everyone else has to learn or has to assimilate to that. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's not, that's not true. Mm-hmm. And every culture loves God in a different way. But every culture also skews God in a different way. So, like, mm-hmm. learning what it looks like for me to be true to my culture and love God the way that is natural to me and doing that instead of only treating God the way other people around me are treating God, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. the difference between black church and white church are very different, you know. Right. <laughs> but just because I go to a white church does not mean that I should alter the way that I pray to God. Yeah. Just because true. I go to a white church does not mean that I should alter the way I worship God. Mm-hmm. Or just because I go to a black church does not mean that I should change the way that I pray to God or that I should change the way to worship God. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it is good to experience new ways to pray and new ways to worship, but ultimately you you kind of need to do what works for you. Like, mm-hmm. however... Whatever is the most natural way for you to communicate with God, that is what you should do, you know? And I feel like that's definitely something I've been learning over the past few weeks, even. I read this book called I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. I would recommend literally everyone to read this book because it kind of talks about what it is like to be black in a white world and how to still have dignity and how to still love the Lord in your own way, even if it's different from what the world tells you that it should look like. That sounds like a great book. It's good. I literally read it in two days. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> ultimately, like, my identity is in Christ, and I've learned that, like, yes, I'm black. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I'm an immigrant in America. Can you imagine? But ultimately, the thing that matters the most is that I am a child of the one true king. So everything else comes secondary, you know? Hey, we made it through our first month. Thank you all for listening. Please continue to support by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and sharing this podcast with your friends and your family. We will be back next Wednesday for a special episode with my mom in honor of Mother's Day. So here is a sneak peek. We had maybe taken a few steps outside of the front door of the restaurant. And at that point, I dropped to the ground. I dropped to my death.